stand. Take your Bibles, turn with me if you would. I don't know, I got three or four places you could turn. Why don't you just turn over to Judges 16 for just a minute. I've got something I want to say before we get there. I got to set it up. Uh, Joshua, Judges chapter number 16. Uh, I, I've got a, a burden on my heart that's been building over the last couple of weeks as we prepare and ask God to prepare our hearts for the revival. We're entering into a season of revival here at Calvary Baptist Church. And uh, I, I do my best as a pastor to try to prepare the hearts of the church for special events, missions, conference, and revivals. I just don't like to just jump right into them. I kind of like to, to go into it uh, with our hearts already prepared. And I feel like, just to be honest with you, the other night when Brother Russell was here preaching out of the book of Jonah, I felt like God did something. I know he did something in my heart. He did something amazing. I've still just been feasting on that message. I know it was simple. And I guess that's one reason why it's just mind-boggling to me, the simplicity many times the Word of God is those things that just stick in your heart. And that message out of Jonah about filing an appeal to God, the God of heaven, for revival. And I don't know, I've preached through that book I don't know how many times. But he brought out some stuff I never had seen before. And it spoke to my heart. And God did something. Began to break up fallow ground. You say, Pastor Shifford, you mean to tell me you've got fallow ground? Yeah, yeah, we, we all do. That's kind of what I want to get to tonight. Uh, but I felt like the other night when Brother Russell was preaching, God just kind of lit a fuse, lit, lit, did something. And uh, then, of course, uh, the Lord led me to preach uh, Sunday on the prodigal son and uh, tremendous liberty to preach on that, just another revival-type message. Um, and what I want to do tonight and next Wednesday night, if the Lord will help me, I want to see if I can get all of this in. I've got four or five points that I want to try to push into two messages a two-part series, uh, because Sunday is the Patriotic Sunday, God and Country Sunday. I want to preach on freedom and liberty Sunday morning. Sunday night, I think God wants me to preach on how to pray for your country. We've been kind of doing a little series, just kind of going back and touching on how to pray, how to pray. We did a pr how to pray for young people. We did a message on how to pray for missionaries. Some of y'all might remember that. And now Sunday night, Lord willing, we're going to pre preach a message on how to pray for your country. So those two services are already kind of I locked out, so it gives us tonight and next Wednesday night to preach this series of messages before the revival. Uh, I'm one of those preachers that's weird because I get aggravated when I don't get to preach. Some pastors are like, oh man, I don't have to preach. We got a guest preacher, and I'm like, stink, I don't get to preach. That's like seven messages I don't get to preach right there, yeah. So I have to preach it all before, get it out of my system. <laughs> But I want to, I, I, I've been thinking about, praying about, asking God to help me help you, and together, us just asking God to prepare our hearts and our minds for this season of revival. And uh, I begin to make a list of the rivals of revival. And that's really what I want to preach on tonight, is the rivals of revival, and we're only going to get to two of them, all right? We're only going to get to two of them. I've got about five, I think, but tonight... Um, if I could just ask God to help us prepare our minds and our hearts for the upcoming revival because they're not going to be packing a revival in their luggage and bringing it with them. That's not how that works. Many times I've gone to a church to preach and I felt like they thought I was going to do something amazing 
you know, and voila, the church has a revival. No, that's not how that works. They're going to preach. Brother Russell's going to preach on that Sunday both times. Brother Buster Mullins will preach a Monday through Friday night. And uh, you say, I don't, I've never heard of a church having church that much. We used to have them for six weeks. I remember when six-week revivals was normal. Four-week revivals, five-week revivals, six-week revivals. I mean, Brother Sammy would have revivals going longer than that. I mean, 13 weeks one time. I'm talking about church every night for 13 straight weeks. You say, man, I'd be tired. Uh-huh. That's kind of what it takes sometimes to get the spiritual man right is get the flesh out of the way. And it takes about 13 weeks of church to do it sometimes. But I've been in church services before where they have revival and they say, we're just going to go on another week. And they have two weeks of revival. Man, you know what? God's working. God's moving. And we're going to go another week. And you just, it just kind of breaks out. Uh, so don't, don't get too nervous because we're having church Monday through Friday. That's, that's a little bit uh, below the average for me, at least, where I came from. Most churches now have three-night revivals. They go, they go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and that's it. And uh, we take our teens to teen camp. And we get there on Monday and have church on Monday night. And we have church Tuesday morning and Tuesday night. And we have church Wednesday morning and Wednesday night. And it takes about until Wednesday for them to start getting it together. And, and God start working. And usually Thursday and Thursday night is amazing. But it takes about three days of preaching sometimes to get, to get all the cobwebs out of your heart. And so uh, I think really that God's got something in store for us. But I want to do my due diligence as the pastor uh, to prepare and help prepare you spiritually, mentally for this uh, season of revival because I have no doubt Satan will do everything he can working overtime to try and hinder what God wants to do. And let me just say this. I believe with all my heart that what God's doing at our church right now is amazing. I believe that the spirit, I believe the, the atmosphere, I believe the souls being saved and people coming to the altar, that's not normal. I mean, that's abnormal. But having said that, I believe there's still tremendous room for God to do more. And I really believe that it's going to boil down to you and I being hungry and thirsty and longing for God's presence. Listen to me, we can have it all together. We can have a great music program. We can have a great outreach ministry, bus ministry, junior church. We can have, we can have uh, the orphans can be up, the missions can be doing great. But as the songwriter says, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And I don't want to get into a dry, dead, formalistic form of religion. I want God's presence here so thick and so real that I can feel his breath on my neck. And I believe, really, we've got room for more of God's presence in our church and in our services and in our own personal lives. And so trust me when I tell you the devil's going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at us and at this church and at you to try and hold back and barricade God working and moving in this church during the revival. I believe that with all my heart. But listen, he won't be coming inside the church in bodily form. He's not going to come in here and sit down in the service and put his fingers in your ear during the preaching. He's not going to do that. He don't have to do that because he's going to use some age-old tactics that have worked for thousands of years that are the rivals to revival that if you and I are not careful, we will just let those things successfully integrate into our mind and in our heart and God will come and work and move, and many people will sit here completely unaffected and unchanged. I'm not interested in having a series of meetings. I want to see revival. 
I want to see revival like we hadn't seen revival in a long time. And I, myself, am candidate number one for God's working and moving in our church. And I just know that sometimes it takes a while for us to get our mind and heart right for what God wants to do. Back when I was in South Carolina, I had horses. And uh, we had a horse, we had, we had a wonderful horse. She was a registered Tennessee walker. Her name, her name was Cinnamon. She was, a, she was a paint, brown and white paint horse. But she was a registered Tennessee walker, had papers on her. And uh, Callie used to ride uh, Cinnamon uh, more than I did, uh, even when she was a little bitty thing. And she was a little bitty thing back then. But she'd get out there and ride Cinnamon. But before anybody could ride Cinnamon, you'd have to lunge her. Now, if you've never had horses, you don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, you don't want to ride a horse that's been in a stall or in a pasture for a week or two without being ridden. They get, they get ornery in their head, and you've got to get their mind right. You've got to get them in a mind to work, which is what you're doing when you're riding them, is you're working them. And I, I trust me, I got out there one day and didn't lunge her. I just got her, grabbed her, put her, put her bit in her mouth, and, and put a saddle on her, and I jumped up on her. And uh, I was trying to get my foot in the stirrup, and I leaned over to get my foot in the stirrup, and when I did, she frog hopped. But just enough to throw me off balance, and I was felt myself going, and I grabbed the saddle horn, and it just started sliding. That's not a good feeling. And that saddle went completely sideways on that horse, and obviously gravity took over, and I fell, and I hit the ground. And the first thing that hit my mind was, the ground's a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> I hit that ground, nearly knocked the breath out of me. And when I did, the stirrups and everything went up under her and was hitting her legs, and she started jumping. She, she stomped the mud hole in me as I was laying there in that, in that field. She was just a jumping and jumping, and then she took off to running. And the more she ran, the more the stirrups was banging her legs. She was scared to death. She ran around several times in a circle and came up to the fence. She was just a shaking. Right by that time, my wife came out the back door, and she said, Stacy, supper's on the table. I said, y'all go ahead and eat. I got to work with this horse. I cannot leave this horse like this. And I had to get her, take the saddle off, I had to get it on her, had to tighten it, calm her down, and then I lunged her, which is what I should have done to start with. And that's where you take a long lead rope, and you hook it to their, uh, to their halter, and, you, and, you, and you, go, you, you run them in a circle. They don't like to do that. They don't like to do that. They'll fight you. They'll fight you, and they'll kick their back legs around. And sometimes you have to take a whip, and you have to pop them on the behind to get them to run. But what you're doing is you're trying to get their mind right. What you're saying is, we're fixing to ride, I'm the boss, I need you to get it together. And it's funny because when you're lunging that horse, they'll, 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 they'll go in a circle like this, their front legs are doing this. And as long as they're doing that, you know that they're not submitted. The minute they ever start crossing their legs over, going in that circle, then you know, okay, they got it together. That's how you know to stop. And you can stop lunging them and you can get on them and they'll be fine. You know what I found out? I found out that Baptist, a lot of times we need lunging. See, we got revival coming up. We don't want to wait till revival to get our head in the game. We don't want to wait till Sunday morning, Brother Russell's up here preaching, and us look at one another and say, oh, I guess we better think about revival. No, we need to be getting it together now and asking God to help us get our mind and our heart conditioned so that when they get here and start preaching, that the seed is falling on fertile soil and the fallow ground's already been plowed up and, and that what we're basically doing is preparing our fields for the rain is what we're doing. As a pastor, I feel that that's my responsibility and that's my job. And God laid this series of messages on my heart, the rivals of revival. 
Because the messages that are going to be preached, I promise you, are going to be biblical. They're going to be truth. They're going to have the unction, the anointing. The men of God are going to be personally prepared to preach. I'm not worried about that. The only thing I'm concerned about is what's the ground look like? What's the ground look like? For God's man to be able to plow and sow the seed, the fields need to be prepared and ready. That means God might need to pull up some stumps and clear out some rocks before the sower gets here. Amen. And you say, well, I feel like we're already having revival. We are. I'm going to be honest with you. I am. I mean, I, I feel like I'm right on the edge. And God's been doing some things to me. And God's been speaking to me. And God's been pointing some things out in my life already. Ain't nothing wrong with getting ahead of the game. Ain't nothing wrong with getting revival before revival. Amen. And so there are several things that I believe are rivals. I mean, they're, they're, they're problems. Issues that the devil will bring into our lives to keep us from experiencing the revival that God wants us. Listen, God can work, but he might not be able to do everything he wants to do. I'm a candidate for God doing everything he wants to do, aren't you? So number one, if you're taking notes, I want to look at the rival of denial. The rival of denial. There will be a tendency for someone to sit in this church during the season of revival, and here's what they will be saying, I don't need revival. I don't need revival. One of the biggest hindrances to revival is the attitude of, I don't need revival. It's, well, I thought about the church at Laodicea. I know you're in Judges. Just stay there. I'm going to read this verse in Revelation 3. I just preached from this few Weeks ago, Revelation 3, 17, the church of Laodicea, because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Can we agree tonight the church of Laodicea needed revival? Of course they did. One of the first indications they needed revival was the fact they said they didn't. I, get, I, I never cease to be amazed as a pastor that many times I could preach a message on a subject and it seems like the people that need it the most are oblivious. The ones that need it the least are the ones in the altar. I could preach a message on soul winning. Guess who's in the altar crying and snotting and, and, and getting right with God? The people that go soul winning every week. I could preach a message on the home and the family. And guess who's in the altar with their wife and kids huddled up at the invitation? Some of the strongest families in the church. Preach a message on prayer, the importance of prayer, how we need to pray. Guess who's in the altar asking God to help them have a better prayer life? People that already have a prayer life. It's an indication you need revival if your first response is, I don't need revival. I begin to think about the passage of Scripture in Judges 16. I could have used a number of verses, but it hit me, Judges 16, the story of, uh, of, of Samson. Went to, the, went to sleep in the devil's barbershop. Judges chapter 16, he laid his head over in the lap of Delilah, and she... Brought the Philistines in. They cut all his hair off. You know the story. If you don't know the story, I don't have time to preach it tonight. But you can read the story of Samson, the fascinating story. But there's, a, there's an interesting statement that, is, that we find in Judges 16 and verse number 20. She said, Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not. He knew not. He wist not that the Lord was departed from him. What a terrible state to be in. When you think that God's there and his presence is there and his power's there and it's not, you don't know it. You don't know it. 
like forgetting about the spare tire until you have a flat tire and you go look in the trunk and, oh, there is no spare tire. Well, now is a fine time to find that out. There's a lot of people don't realize God's presence has been taken away from their life, but they don't know it. And if you were to ask them, do you need revival? No, I'm fine. It's possible to be in a state of denial about revival and say, I'm fine. I mean, just begin to think about revival is not really a simple cut and dried word. It's kind of an all-encompassing word that we use sometimes loosely, but it's not real, real specific. It's actually pretty broad depending on the person. Revival is different for different people. I'm just going off my notes here, just some things I jotted down. A plant that is starting to wither and gets watered and comes back, we would say it's revived. But we would also say that a field that has been plowed under and completely re-sown and comes out is also revived. Two different levels of revival, but it would be the same idea. Uh, God is able to do what needs to be done in your life regardless of what it is. Some people need smelling salts to come to. Some people need defibrillators. Huh? I mean, depending on how far out you are. I just preached on that Sunday night about that prodigal son when he came to. He was out of it, and then he came to. Sometimes you just need a little smelling salt. Some people, you can slap them on the face and say, hey, hey, and they'll come around. Other people need a shot of adrenaline. All I'm saying is that your level of spirituality or your level of carnality or whatever case you want to go by is, is, is God's going to need to do a custom work in your heart. Revival for you might not be the same thing that revival is for me. Revival for me might be a longer, more intensive, more spirit-filled prayer time. Revival for you might be just starting to pray. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? Revival for you might be when you pick up your Bible, the, the, it starts to come alive and make sense. Revival for me, God might be able to bring forth deeper truths that I can then preach and pass on to you. It's the same thing, but it's different. A person that's just simply gotten a little bit cold needs revival. But a person that's ended up in the hog pen also needs revival. A person that attends church but doesn't pay attention during church needs revival. And a person that's gotten completely out of church needs revival. There's people that need revival that's not here. There's people that's here on a Wednesday night and you can use a revival to some extent. A new convert dealing with distractions could use revival. An older saint of God that's struggling with discouragement or being disillusioned could also experience revival. Different people need different things, but revival is God doing in your heart and your life and making it new and making it fresh. Our theme this year is renew. We need God to renew. I don't want a Christianity that gets stale and stagnant. I don't want a relationship with God that just gets mundane and status quo. I like it when my marriage, I like it when it's popping. I like it when there's electricity in the air. I like it when we're on, we're on fire and we're in love. I don't want to just co-inhabit with her for the rest of my life. Relax, I'm not going to preach on the marriage. We got a lot of husbands and wives living in the same house even sleeping in the same bed, but they're not in love. 
need revival. Your marriage needs revival. The honey's out of the, gone out of the honeymoon. The point I'm trying to make tonight is you and I may not even know what we need, but I think it's important that we acknowledge that we need revival. And a good place to start is, Lord, I don't know what I need. You know what I need. Please give it to me. But if you walk into the revival meeting or you walk into any service, you've got this wall up. I'm fine. That's your first clue you're not fine. We were talking this morning in a staff meeting. We had a staff meeting in prayer this morning, and I was just talk, talking about this very subject. And I said, I think it's interesting that a lot of times the best basketball player on the team practices more than everybody else. Everybody else goes home, he's still shooting free throws. He's still in the gym working out. The best player. Why is the best player working out the most? Because he's not as good in his mind as he knows he could be. He's not doing as much as he knows he could be doing. A good indication you need revival is when you think you're fine. I don't ever want to get satisfied. You say, well, I, I think as a Christian, we ought to get to the place in our Christian life where we're, we're level off and we're satisfied with where we are. The Apostle Paul says, I press. He said, I want to know him, the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, I, I'm not apprehended. I'm not as spiritual as I want to be. I got more. I got greater heights I want to go to. And Paul was probably one of the greatest Christians that's ever been. And if he didn't arrive, and he struggled, you know, and he said, the things I want to do in Romans, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he talked about the struggle that he had. If Apostle Paul could testify of that, how much more can you and I experience a revival in our life? I guess one of the things that kind of hit me this morning as I was meditating on this and just jotting down these thoughts was, how often does a child of God need revival? And if I study my Bible, we need revival every day. Say, so where do you get that from? Well, God said his mercies are new every morning. Why would his mercies be new every morning if yesterday's mercies would suffice today? Why do you think God told the nation of Israel when the manna fell, just collect manna for today? Don't get manna for today and tomorrow. I'm going to send manna tomorrow for tomorrow. You need to collect manna for today. He said, teach us to pray Give us this day our daily bread. Here's the problem. We want to stockpile, and then we run out, and a lot of times we don't know we ran out. We need revival every day. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. That, that struggle and that relationship with Jesus Christ is something that has to be maintained daily. We really only have one official revival each year. But if you go back and look at the messages Pastor Shepherd preaches, a lot of them are revival messages. A lot of them are. A lot of them would fall into a revival category. Why? Because the devil and the world is working overtime to put out our light and put out, uh, make our salt to the point where it has no savor. And salt without a savor, Jesus said, is good for nothing. I don't want to be a good for nothing Christian. Salt that's lost its savor is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trod under the foot of men. I don't want to be salt with no savor. We have to fight the flesh and the world, and it's coming at us. It's like standing in front of a fire hydrant. The filth, the ungodliness is just coming at us. A, 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 a man just won Miss Nevada, USA. 
a man. Out of all the women in that state, they couldn't find one to beat that man. That's, that's beyond shocking to me. It's unreal. And it, 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 that's, that's normal. That, that's, that's good. You know, that, the world applauds that. that. That's normal. But if you're a conservative Christian that believes the Bible, you're weird. That's where we're at right now. And it's got us so locked up and it's got us so oppressed and suppressed. We need God to breathe. We need God to fan the flame so we can let our light shine so that we can be the voice and be the Christian. And so your first mistake is saying, I don't need revival. Just go ahead and trust me when I tell you, I don't care who you are, you need it. To some extent, you need it. So we see the revival or the rival of denial. Number two, we see the rival of doubt. The rival of denial says, I don't need a revival. Doubt says, I can't have revival. I can't have revival. Let me tell you something tonight. Revival is a divine work of God, and God can do anything. But if you come to revival saying, I will never be a spiritual Christian, I'll never have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ like Pastor Shepherd preaches about, that is a tool of Satan to limit God working in your life. One of the most effective lies of Satan is that you can't be revived and that you're going to have to just settle for being a lukewarm Christian. You're going to have to just settle for having no fruit. You're going to have to just settle. This is who I am. This is how it's going to be because of my family, my upbringing, my education level, my skill level, all the scars of sin, all the weights, all the things that I've had to deal with in my past. This is as far as I can go with God. That's a lie of the devil. Doubt. I can't have revival. God's able to do anything. God's able to change you. Listen to what I just said. God's able to change you. That's, you say, that's not who I am. That's not, that's not who I am. That's not me. Yeah, but you got born again. You got born again. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things are become new. God can change you. He can change you. I mean, revival is God changing you. Revival is Moses standing at the burning bush saying, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak. And then just a few days later, with Aaron there as his mouthpiece, not getting the word in edgewise, Moses looking at Pharaoh saying, God said, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. You're going to regret it if you don't let my people go ten times. We're going to go worship. We're going to go worship. We're going to do it God's way. That whole message. That was the man that was, I can't talk. Well, God can change you. God can change you. Some extraordinary examples of God's reviving power. Let me run through these right quick. I wish I had time to read Ezekiel chapter number 37. There's a story there about the valley of dry bones. Now, it's talking about the nation of Israel, but I want to give you an example of God's reviving power. Ezekiel 37, 1, the hand of God was upon me, carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. 
and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said to me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I preached to some churches, and I felt like that's what I was doing. O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinew upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone, and the foot bone connected to the leg bone, leg bone connected to the knee bone. You know how that song goes, right? And the Bible says that, lo, he said in verse number 8, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them above. There was no breath in them. And he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and got uh, stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. And it goes on and on. What am I saying? I'm saying if God can take a valley of dry, dusty bones, and he can bring them together and make an army out of them, don't tell me tonight that God can't revive you, and that God can't change you. God can. He's able. You say, preacher, I, I don't feel anything. My prayer life's dead. I read my Bible. I get nothing. I come to church. Everybody's weeping. Go to the altar and you're preaching your guts out and I feel nothing. God can change that. Quit saying he can. He can. He can. I've seen him do it. You go to Job chapter number 14, verse number 7. For there is cause of a tree if it if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, that a tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk therefore die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. A dead, dried stump can come back to life. Don't tell me God can't revive you. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 22, we find that story where the man of God went up there. Took that dead boy. There was no breath in him. I just preached that just a few weeks ago. Took that dead boy, laid him on the bed, prayed, laid on top of him. The Bible says, the Bible says, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't turn there, but in 1 Kings 17, 22, the Bible says, and the boy revived. He was dead. I'm talking about the power of revival. God doesn't just revive people that are a little bit cold, people that are a little bit indifferent. He don't just revive people that are a little bit apathetic. He, he can revive a dead stump. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter number 13, the Bible says Elisha died and they buried him. The bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man. That behold, they spied a band of men. They cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. A man that was dead touched another dead man and was revived. I'm telling you, the power of God to revive has no limits. I don't care who you are in here tonight. You're not too far gone, but what God can't put that fire back. He can. There have been times I thought I was as I thought I was done. I was done. Done. I think I've given the illustration. I don't know if I give the illustration here or not, Brother Adrian. Maybe you can remember if I told the illustration about when I came home from my first furlough, I was as dry, dry as cracker juice. I can't explain to you how dry I got on the mission field. Preaching, teaching, discipling, seven, eight, nine, ten times a week and getting no preaching. 
And trust me, I listened to preaching tapes. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. And I just, I wasn't getting any. And I felt as dry as a new sponge. That's dry. We came home for a furlough. It had been probably a year and a half since I'd been able to weep. I mean, felt nothing, nothing, nothing. Just preaching, people getting saved, people getting saved every week. I mean, I was being faithful and God was using me, but I'm talking about me personally. Dry. And I never forget, came home. My wife would never forget it either. <clears throat> I think about this often. We were in Greenville, North Carolina. I was right up above Newport. Preaching for Lamar Whittemore. Well, I was there for with Lamar Whittemore. He was the pastor of the church. He asked us to come by there. And before I was supposed to preach or somebody was supposed to preach, him and his wife got up to sing. And uh, they started singing, I'm no stranger to grace. And that's kind of where it started. And if I'm not mistaken, somebody else got up and started singing another song. And that's a song I've heard all my life. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. Grace, can you remember the name of it? I'll think of it just as soon as I get done preaching. And it was like a dam broke inside of me. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. After about a year and a half, two years of nothing. I mean, numb, numb. Just plowing by faith, preaching by faith. That night, God opened up the south end of heaven and poured it into my soul. Christ paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Christ paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I'm singing this new song, Amazing Grace, for Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And it was like a dam broke. I mean, it was start, tears started flowing. And my first thought was, I think I'm crying. Wait, I'm crying. I crawled out of my pew and I got up on that altar and I laid there for probably 45 minutes. They never did get to preach. People was in the altar crying. I don't know what everybody was doing. I know what I was doing. I was having revival. I'm talking about full-time missionary setting the woods on fire. Prayer letters that was that, that long, so tight, size eight font, single space. I couldn't pack it all in there, what God was doing, and I needed a revival. I needed God to work in my heart. I needed God to put the spring back in my step. I needed God to put the joy back in my soul. I needed God to revive and refresh my spiritual man. What am I saying? I'm saying, quit saying he can't. That's a rival to revival. With heads bowed tonight, you may be here, and I know we're still a week and a half away, but listen, God is breaking up fallow ground. Some of you have never been to the altar at Calvary Baptist Church. Why don't you kick the devil in the teeth and come down here? Why don't you just get up and come down here and get in this altar? You say, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get down here. Don't worry about it. Just get down here. Just say, God, do something. Do something. Do something. Whatever it is you want to do, do it. Whatever you need to do, do it. Go ahead tonight and make a commitment. I'm going to quit saying I don't need revival. 
I'm going to quit saying that I, don't, I can't have revival. I'm going to ask God to eliminate these rivals of revival. Get these blockades. Stuff the devil uses to clog the drain so God can't work and move in your life. You say, I don't feel anything. You need to be down here. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. You need to be down here. At least roll out of your seat and get on your knees. Do something. Do something. I got a funny feeling it's going to take a good week and a half to break up some fallow ground with some folks. I'm here to help you. Brother Russell and Brother Mullins is going to have some tremendous messages, but you got to meet God halfway. Come on now. Are you hungry for him? You desire his presence and his power in your life? Preacher, I had his power last week. Great. What about today? What about tomorrow? What about next week? This world needs to see a church revived, on fire, spirit of God working, moving. Being sensitive, Christians that are sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 